because my tastes as Dave, who's about to turn 40 years old, are very different from my audience, our audience's tastes. And empowering people who, quite frankly, are in our audience to create that content has really got us a special place with Longform. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, storytelling, technology, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, back here at the beginning of September with my co-host, co-teacher, co-lots of things, Tom Richardson. What's up, Joe? How you doing? It was good to see you this week in person as the new semester begins and our, we had our first classes. Yep. Uh, it's such an uplifting and inspiring week, um, and, that feeling of getting back very, in the swing of things, you know? It was a very sweaty week as well. Oh, my so. God. Yeah. Uh, and so between preparing for class and watching tennis, I have done little else in the last yeah, yeah. Uh, week since we talked. Yeah. And there's that. What's that other thing? Oh, the NFL going on. too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And of the course, little, the little college football, which is now known as Coach Prime football. That's all we know is Coach Prime. Well, that's that's assuming you can watch. Um, yes. T- tennis and Monday Night Football. Yeah. If you don't rely on spectrum, what a crazy story that has turned out to be. And we're entering arguably one of the most appealing sports weekends of the fall of late summer. The one uh, we're, we're, we're recording this on uh, Friday, September 8th, but we've got the finals for the U S open. We've got some great college football. And of course, Monday night feet football featuring the new and improved New York jets. And I will Aaron be there. Rogers. I will be there. I said to somebody yesterday, Oh, you're going to the game. Run again. Oh, so nice. Okay. I don't think that I've missed the debut of a Jets quarterback since at home since Browning Nagel. Wow. And um, <laughs> I can even say that I was there when Vinny Testaverde blew out his Achilles and Ray Lucas made his debut as Jets quarterback. So oh, my God. Good. Yeah. God, that's real serious Jets history. But anyway, I, I, all I will say on the spectrum, the charter spectrum thing in their dispute with Disney is that. I've li- I read a lot about this topic. I listen to a lot of podcasts about this topic, and almost everybody with deep knowledge of the media industry agrees that this may be the most consequential standoff in the history of um, cable and and uh, the whole television business. Mm-hmm. And no one knows how it's going to end. But Charter did go on the record, as you probably saw in the press, to say they essentially, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, can live without video, meaning they don't necessarily need to be distributing all these different channels, that their business in broadband, internet delivery, and telco is profitable enough. And the way the economics have evolved, it's no longer profitable. And if they say no, ultimately, they they keep their position, this will have uh, a major ripple effect probably in, on the rest of the pay TV industry. So this is one of the great stories of the year. Um, I'm lucky because I'm an Optimum customer. So if anybody wants to come over and watch any of these great games this weekend, you know, feel free. Although by the time they hear this, they won't know that. Right. Although the the strike might still be on Joe. That's the thing next week. Well, and and before we want to get to our guests and actually it it revolves a lot about cord cutting and, and unique forms of distribution and storytelling and content. But I think that one of the great ironies, of course, about this is that we're sitting here and <laughs> they're shutting off the one thing that people want to watch on television right now because of the writer's strike. Right. So, yeah, so not to mention that. the writer's strike, which is yeah. wreaking havoc. But yeah, yeah that could that that would be a really interesting uh, separate 
pod convo if we can get the right kind of person to talk well, about. We the... could have. Uh, we mentioned it before. My buddy Dan Loria, who's actively involved. Oh, that would be well, cool. All you have yeah. to do is just say hello, Dan, and he'll talk for an hour. <laughs> well, isn't that true with like ninety-five percent of our guests, Joe? Yeah, thirty. We'll see if it. We'll see if it happens today yeah. with Dave. Cool. Okay. Why don't you so, introduce? Go ahead. Why don't you fire away? No, well, you you, you uh, go for yeah. it. You you got to meet him first. So for those who've listened uh, or have cherry picked, two of the more unique uh, pods we've done in the five and a half years that we've done this have been with Zach Weiner at Overtime. Uh, really, right when Overtime launched, Zach came on. Um, and then we did a, another follow-up one, and it's always been interesting to follow the progression of overtime, not just as a business, and we're not really going to talk about overtime, the business, we're going to talk about overtime, the storytelling and content platform and how that's evolved. Uh, and our guest today, he told us before we started, I guess was employee number 12 yeah. in overtime, which is like saying, you know, I was there when Moses chiseled the fifth commandment. <laughs> so, um, but uh, Dave Zigarelli is the Head of video and senior executive producer at Overtime. They've got a pretty interesting uh, film that is coming out, a whole content story uh, telling platform that they built away from just where it started, which were highlights that were bring, being brought in. Uh, and he's got a pretty unique story uh, himself. So Dave, first of all, welcome to the show. Tell us your story. And then we want to hear all about kind of how this, this platform has played out and, and what's coming up for people. Very cool. Uh, Joe, Tom, thank you for having me. It's an honor to talk to you guys, and I appreciate everything you've done for the community. Um, it's cool to be here, man. Yeah, so I am uh, the head of video at Overtime. Um, you know, I came on pretty early. I came on about six years ago when we were at about a dozen employees operating out of a closet, and now we're at over 300 people um, operating wow. in several different cities. Um, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Overtime is a... a, a network for quite frankly uh the next generation of sports fans so um my background is in television uh, i moved here in 2006 it's the first flight i ever took i'm from western pennsylvania um i knew that i wanted to work in media but i didn't know what in particular moved here um and i quite frankly tried to move up as quick as i could uh, my first job was at who wants to be a millionaire um and then quite frankly moved up from there history channel ended up on a show called Wife Swap for about five minutes, lots of MTV, lots of Bravo. Um, but the reality is, is like my heart was always in sports. I love sports. I grew up with sports. Um, you know, I'm from a part of the country where names like Namath and Ditka and I played against Terrell Rivas. Like those are, you know, uh, people who are both very important to the community and also important to the culture, you know. So I met uh, Dan Porter and Zach Weiner about six years ago. Um, and there was no billion dollar idea. It was like, hey, we know the young millennials and Gen Z are watching less sports than ever. Um, so let's try to capture that audience. And to be honest with you, fellas, like the first couple years of it was a lot of hard work and a lot of trial and error. We tried a number of different things to capture said audience. Some of it worked. Some of it didn't. Um, but the reality is, is that, um, you know, a few core things that have been true to storytelling for millennia is like, ended up working for us, you know, access to athletes and uh, telling vulnerable stories, um, you know, um, getting people to talk about who they are as people instead of about athletes. So like that is one of our mantras, right? It's like, let's go beyond the box store score. Let's tell stories about who these people are beyond the field, not just who are they are on the field. So we started producing a lot of long form doc style content um, on YouTube about six years ago. And that started to take off 
all the while an entire social media platform run by some some really brilliant people started to take off trying to capture that voice and here we are six years later uh we have over 80 million followers and counting um across our social media platforms average over 22 and a half billion uh minutes viewed a year um we have our league overtime elite out of atlanta that i'd love to talk about and um mm -hmm. it's a really exciting time for the company i'm also here to talk about the fact that we have a new documentary series uh on amazon prime right now dave one of the influences you cite as a big inspiration for you growing up and getting into this world was Steve Sable in NFL films. And I and I thought that was notable. It, it feels to me, Joe, like any young person getting to the creative side of sports as it relates to video should be required to study the history of NFL films. But, but sure. talk about what you took away from that as uh, an appreciator of, of the whole mystique around what the, the Sables, he and his dad uh, accomplished. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think of... So I think of Steve Sable in some ways in the spirit of 70s filmmakers in that when it came to 70s film, right, it was like, hey, um, people aren't necessarily going to the movies like they did in the 50s and 60s. Let's try some things. Right. And obviously NFL films predates the, the 70s. But when I think of Steve Sable, I think of classical music. Um, I think of avant-garde storytelling. I think of intimate storytelling. You know, the first NFL films presents that I remember watching that really resonated with me. I must have been seven, eight years old. But I remember they profiled a defensive back for the 49ers. I don't remember his name, but I remember the story was all about the fact that he hates football and he only plays football to, to facilitate his painting career. And this whole <laughs> bio was about him painting and how he's only doing this for the money. And that just it just spoke to me in, in so many ways. Um, so, you know, the Sables in a lot of ways have been maybe the most influential people over me to get where I am. So, you know, I can talk all I want about I'm from Western Pennsylvania with all this great football tradition, but wasn't very good at football, fellas. I was, you know, a special teams guy hanging on by a thread. But the reality is the pageantry of football spoke to me so much. The speeches, the entire town coming, like that spirit um, was captured by the Sables in a way that no one did at the time and, and, and certainly resonated with me. So same for Facenda and so on. So they played a big role. So, you know, it's interesting to see how, first of all, NFL media now has really kind of come full circle now with our Tom, our buddy, Blake Stuchin and the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the co-sharing content that they've launched with, um, I can't remember the name of the studio now, but uh, how yeah, the content, the content creation, yeah, the production, how they're going to do yeah. bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. um, and that leads us to, and, you know, we obviously want to talk about the doc and some of the other stuff that you've done over time, Dave. Um, including, you know, if you want to touch on the strategy of how um, not going to broadcast and you have a, a film coming out, a series coming out on Amazon, the choice was not to go to someplace else, was to do it on YouTube uh, and your own own channels. Um, but now when you look around and you see Drive to Survive and all the other ones and everyone's going to do a reality show and I just finished watching Hard Knocks, which was great this year, um, but, you know, that is a genre that started, obviously, with the Sables, really was championed by Seth Abraham and Ross Greenberg at HBO, uh, and then has kind of come full circle. So why don't you take us through, from an overtime lens, that type of, of longer form storytelling and how it kind of came about and lead us to the documentary that, that you want to talk about today? Yeah, you got it. I mean, one thing that I think the Sables and, and 
some of the other names you mentioned captured is really the the language of sports you know mm-hmm. um why do why do we play sports you know and i think that one thing i've maybe uh tried to get in touch with recently is like it's hard for young people to maybe express themselves it's hard for them to be vulnerable there are not a whole lot of outlets for that in some parts of the country quite frankly and sports really often fills that void and and provides that language right um so that is one thing that spoke to me about sports and one thing that we tried to tap into at overtime so um came on about six years ago i would say one of the most pivotal uh early projects we had is under armor offered us um quite frankly a little bit of money to make um a 10-minute video about their under armor aau circuit and they said, can you pick three different athletes to follow and you make a 10 minute video? And the three athletes we chose were Jalen Suggs, RJ Hampton and Jaden Springer, who um, are all uh, playing professionally now, um, especially especially Suggs. Um, and we went into that project and, you know, I said to our team, like, hey, let's let's shoot a lot of footage. And instead of one 10 minute video let's deliver three 30 minute documentaries on these three guys and at the time admittedly like we didn't have a whole lot of money our team was junior um but i came up in an environment at mtv as a shooter producer so i worked on shows like true life shows like made um documentary shows for mtv where basically i would go out into the field with a camera by myself shoot a whole lot of footage capture everything and come back and quite frankly a, a much more senior editor would bail me out so i said hey let's let's take that approach um and that's what we did we captured this really intimate aau experience about these three young men um the pressures of being there playing inside a little gym with quite frankly popcorn and chicken fingers on the floor mike shashevsky sitting there it was a really high pressure situation and i would like to think that we saw it a bit differently than our contemporaries. We dove in and said, okay, let's go to school with these kids. Let's um, let's wake up with these kids. Let's like really know what it feels like to be 16 years old and playing on this crazy stage. Um, and we made three 30-minute documentaries on those guys. We over-delivered. Um, they performed tremendously well, especially with watch time. Watch time on YouTube, sometimes you're looking at couple minutes or less and they performed 15 16 17 minutes people were sticking around for that um and this was a bit of a watershed moment for the company um so while i'd love to tell you that there was maybe some uh some crazy avant-garde approach we took with our storytelling we really captured heart um we captured access we captured not to go back to the same trope if you will but people not athletes and that was a big watershed moment and it was kind of off the races from there one of the interesting things about the way you guys are evolving is this idea that you're moving beyond the short form craze of video that became so prevalent six, seven years ago with social media distribution, particularly Instagram. And you guys are very aggressive in social media distribution with short form highlights. And that was, I think, part of the overtime pitch. Like we're for Gen Z. No yeah. one has the attention span to watch long sports video. We're giving you really good highlights and you made a really nice business out of it. And what's interesting, and we've talked about this a lot on the pod the last year or so, is how this this now renaissance of sports documentaries 
which oftentimes, like in the case of uh, your new one, uh, is a docu-series, meaning it's over the course of what, six, seven, eight hours, long-form video, Drive to Survive, Breakpoint, et cetera, is really like the hottest part of sports media beyond the live games. And it's an interesting thought. So talk about that because both things can exist at the same time. There can be a huge market for highlights and short video, but it's really interesting to see how the market has responded to these documentaries and these docu-series because they do require an investment of time that I think older people thought young people would never give to this kind of stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about the core tenets of storytelling, the beginning, middle and end. Um, you know, one thing Sable said is you uh, try to have a great beginning, a great end and get them as close together as possible. And that is something I do think about sometimes. Um, but, you know, one thing that really I, I know helped us is our young creators. So, you know, when you look at the credits on, on shows like the ones you've mentioned, there might be 100 people work on that, 150 people work on that. Um, our shows are often made by two, three, sometimes one person. So um, we have a tremendously successful series out uh, about a women's basketball team, a girl named Jada Williams, um, who's now in college. But um, we did two, two uh, different seasons of that. We did three seasons on a fellow named Mikey Williams, who was a basketball sensation. Those were largely made by two people. Um, so we have prioritized empowering young creators to go out into the field. Um, and when that happens, guys, um, athletes want to tell their stories more. You know, if I go out and I'm holding the boom and I got five, six, seven people, you know, sitting you down for a, a interview that takes an hour to light and don't get me wrong, there's room for that. Um, but when we tell it the other way and empower our young people to go out and find out what they think is interesting, um, we've been able to come back with some really special stuff because my tastes as Dave, who's about to turn 40 years old are very different from my audience, our audience's tastes and empowering people who quite frankly are in our audience to create that content um, has really got us a special place with long form. And um, it is really reflected, I think, in everything we do. Uh, so a couple questions before we get to the doc, because we really want to hear about what's what not only what's upcoming yeah. and since, um, you know, this is a little bit evergreen too. We don't want to cut people off and, and do any kind of spoilers, but um, off of what you just said, because I work with a lot of young people, we both do actually. Um, how do you find and how do you determine who could fit into not just the overtime scope, but someone who could have been a, a young Dave? And, and how do you mentor them? And then what are the skills when they come back that you hope that you can empower them with? That's number two. Number three is, can you tell us about a couple of those people? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I will, um, I'm going to take the question backwards if that's cool. So, sure. um, one uh, young creator who I learn a lot from and who I started with is a, is a young fellow named De uh, Dante Putman. Um, Dante's from Manhattan, went to high school in the city. Um, when I came on board at Overtime, he was 19 years old, really talented shooter, um, made really great short form uh, mixtapes, if you will. Quite frankly, the best. And at the uh, AAU tournament that we're talking about, um, him and I had a conversation over lunch and I said, you know, these are these are great. But if you want to really go places um, and I, I, you know, I don't mean to say go places in a patronizing way, but if you want to really climb long form 
is, is a really special way to go. And I think you can do it. Um, cuts is six years later and he's one of the best filmmakers I know in all of unscripted television. How do we get Dante there? I mean, look, um, Dante, in my opinion, if he wanted to be a senator, he'd be a senator. If he wanted to be a great accountant, he'd be a great accountant. So Dante has the work ethic and uh, smarts and all the special things that any great manager um, can really run with. So let me say that first off. But, you know, we got Dante there with, quite frankly, spending, uh, staying by Jalen Sugg's side for two months and really rolling a lot of tape, watching his tape, and then saying, okay, Dave needs me to get uh 200 hours of footage down to 30 minutes what are my best 30 minutes more importantly did i shoot it right and like we really worked hard together over the course of that summer cut great great documentary cut to six months later dante comes into work on a monday and says hey um i met a young fella from my neighborhood in east harlem um playing basketball i saw him playing basketball he is uh missing uh his hand so he only has a left hand, doesn't have a right hand. Um, I saw him hooping. I started filming with him. He was great at hoops. I then captured his story. I went home with him on Saturday night. I interviewed his mother. I think I have a really special piece here. And I stayed up all night editing. it. And he showed us the piece. And it's it's incredible. I would love to send it to you guys. Um, yeah. You know, five years later, that piece has two and a half million views. And it's like what, a hallmark. What's, he, what's his name? The play, The athlete. Um, his first name is Ray. I apologize. I don't remember his last name. This is what um, happens when you get old, Dave. This it is. <laughs> Nailed it, dude. Nailed it. You guys were talking about school earlier. I dropped my son off for the first day of pre-K today. Um, so no, I'm I'm getting I'm there. Um, but I would love to send it to you guys, and it's yeah. like a hallmark of of what we do. So I would just kind of maybe finish answering that question with saying, you know, the the biggest thing for me um and for maybe any uh younger person who's interested in pursuing this kind of work is actually like the storytelling aspect of it. So I do some advising for Penn State where I went. Um, what would impress me the most is if you were to, let's say, film with your friends from Friday until Sunday night, if you're a college student, just roll on what they do. Um, and then turn that into three, four, five minutes of content. Like that is, that is an, a hard skill, one that takes time, but like that is what, I am looking for. Um, and look, there are, uh, I am not that technically savvy of a producer. Anybody who works with me will say that I actually ask a lot of questions about the technical aspects of it. I don't think, uh, fellas, that the more premium technical stuff necessarily resonates with the younger audience. It might resonate, guys, but it might not. I don't think it moves the needle. I think what moves the needle is access, story, how to, quite frankly, we're going to talk today for 45 minutes an hour. How do you get that down to two minutes? If you can turn our convo into two engaging minutes, that's yep. going to impress me way more than if you know how to shoot on a red. Yep. Cool. So let's let's get into the doc. So I know uh, just for the benefit of the audience, uh, many of them may know that last year, Overtime cut a really interesting deal for distribution of Overtime Elite League, their proprietary leagues, uh, with Amazon, Amazon Prime Video. And that turned a lot of heads, I believe, because it was very... Um, unique deal. And um, some of us got to see overtime elite basketball and uh, I guess the other stuff too um, on Amazon, which was cool. And now just launched this week, it hit the news in the last week or so. Um, One shot your new docu-series that it sounds like you were essentially the executive producer on. Is that a fair way to describe it? 
I was. Yeah, I was an executive producer. We certainly had uh, a lot okay. of other people who played a big, big role on it. But yeah. So, Dave, talk about um, the trend, the the extension of the um, OTE uh, kind of live event stuff on Amazon into doing a long form docuseries. Yeah, hundred percent. So, Amazon's been an incredible partner for us. Um, so, if anybody doesn't know, um, in twenty twenty one, we started a basketball league out of Atlanta. Um, we built uh, a, an arena that holds about 2,000 people in Atlanta. We built it in four months. It's in Midtown Atlanta. Uh, anybody who lives there is like, what's going on in there? But like, the reality is it's like a, a mini NBA uh, environment inside. Our league started in the fall of 2021. Um, we recruited some of the best young players in the world to be a part of that league. There's a lot of pageantry around it. There's a lot of storytelling around it. Um, but we also have an amazing academic side that we couldn't be more proud of in terms of helping players both on off the court get to where they want to be uh the first year was tremendously successful second year we struck a deal with amazon where amazon broadcasts a portion of our games um please check them out those are going to start uh airing we believe probably in early december um but i'll keep you posted on that um our announcers who announce the games are incredible quite frankly, uh, influencers who do really awesome work outside the basketball sphere, but know basketball really well. A lot of pageantry around. It. It's a really fun watch. Um, but also, most importantly, it's done an incredible job uh, developing young men to get to where they want to be. So we've had players um, go an academic route, um, going to schools like Stanford, Kentucky, and beyond. But at the same time, we just had two players drafted in the top five of the yeah. NBA draft this past year, a man and Osar Thompson. Um, part of our deal Dave, with Amazon. Dave, I was yeah. going to ask you to remember their names, but that's good. <laughs> <that you're doing. laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, Amanda Nassar Thompson, um, our documentary, One Shot, uh, just premiered. Please check it out. Six part documentary, Amazon Prime. Um, it is following the second season of OTE through a very intimate lens. Um, we track about seven characters throughout that. Amanda Nassar are two of them. Um, and it was an incredible journey, an incredible thing to be a part of. Um, among the many things that I'm most proud of it is, um, it's a very raw documentary. It's a very honest documentary. Um, you know, I'm not here to knock how anybody else is doing anything else, but there was, there's no agenda with this documentary. It's, it's, it's quite frankly, um, a group of people striving to accomplish really incredible things. And with that comes challenges, but with that comes quite frankly, reaching the top of the mountain. It's a really beautiful thing to watch. Um, I will note that the show itself was shot by and, cre and created by a really small crew. So um, Prime has been an awesome, awesome partner. You know, they've let us know. Let up, some of our sports series cost $11, $12 million to make. Uh, this was not that. Um, this was a documentary. Our field team, led by a fellow named Steve Rom, who's brilliant, um, consisted of, quite frankly, two, three, four people who hung around the facility and looked for story and quite frankly, spent a lot of time trying to find that story and develop that story. Our post team, three, four editors, uh, led by a fellow named Ryan Bird, um, along with some other awesome people who worked on it. We had a showrunner named Chase Kenny, who we hired to come on, um, and an awesome production management and post department. But all in, fellas, we're talking 10, 12 people to do this thing from moment A to moment Z. Um, and I'm incredibly <coughs> proud of that. And it's an extension of... Dante, who we talked about earlier, who's still making incredible shows. It's an extension of the spirit of what we try to catch in terms of making intimate, engaging, honest content. So just just to be clear, when you look at you know what you've done on the overtime platforms on YouTube and and Amazon, 
different parameters put on or you just kind of what you see is what you get and, and we work with the people that we have? Yeah, great, great question. Um, slightly different parameters. I'll be honest with you. I've had people from when I used to work in TV start reaching out that I haven't heard from in four or five years, which is great. I appreciate it. It's good to hear from people. But like, hey, you're on Amazon. You made it. And I'm kind of like, well, we've we've been doing this, guys. You know, mm-hmm. I, it, you know, maybe you haven't watched it, which is fine. You know, we all have things to watch. But like, you know, we put out a show on Deion Sanders, a documentary series four years ago. We did two seasons of it called Primetime 2.0 that in my opinion, along with many other things, is like stride for stride as strong as what we did with Amazon. Um, This is all to say, though, there are plenty of other things, though, that were leveled up for Amazon. Um, You know, whether that's, uh, quite frankly, stronger color correction, um, a number of things to resonate more with their audience. But to be honest with you, I think like stride for stride, pretty close to what we've been doing. So talk about that, about the audience. So obviously, the, the overtime audience, I would imagine, is different from the Amazon audience a little bit, maybe, maybe it's driven, maybe Amazon sees it as a way to get some younger people to, although I would bet most younger people uh, have a prime membership because of school. Um, and that's, you know, one of the, the, the beauties of what Amazon is. But so is it, it, when you go in and look at it, did you think about all about this may be a little bit of an older audience, we have to skew it a little bit more, maybe a few less, you know, expletives or a different point of view or is it just pretty much you see what you get and let's see if we can bring you know an audience to amazon that wasn't there um i think it was a little closer to the latter than the former um i you know i can't overstate how great of a partner amazon was um rep on this series karen hammerberg was such an awesome collaborate on it so don't get me wrong we did do a number of things different so one good example of that that i wasn't as used to is if you watch our games so obviously games are a part of this documentary they account for about 20 20 percent of it guys but like if you watch our games there's no interview bites during our games so if you look at our overtime content usually we have interview bites uh you know um you know when a man brought the ball down the court i'm thinking i'm open but he doesn't look to me we didn't do that um mm-hmm. the games are like very raw some could perceive it as dry if you're maybe from a bit younger audience. We'll see how they feel. But like they're very raw and they're very honest. So that was a tweak through collaborating with Amazon that they wanted us to try. Um, so a few small tweaks like that, but largely the spirit of what we do is there. Cool. Last question from me. Um, Tom, I know he's got a bunch uh, before we get to our last two. But um, the th- is there a worry at all when you're doing the, these kind of documentaries about time-lapse, meaning these things, people already know all about this stuff and and who's going to rewatch. I, it's interesting when you watch HBO's Hard Knocks, it's obviously going on week to week, but yet when they go to the longer form shows that are airing on other networks, like when they did the in-season stuff with the Cardinals, it was a year later. So so do people really care as much? Or even the quarterback show now, you know, it's, it's about last year's footage. I don't know how many people are still interested in September. Or Drive to Survive is a good example. Drive to Survive. So, so, so it, as a filmmaker, does that come into, you know, any kind of your worry about, like, we got to get this out in the next month while it's hot and people are thinking about it, or can we wait a year? Yeah. Um, <laughs> for me personally, it doesn't. And don't get me wrong, it came up. It is something it, we considered. Um, and look, I'm not trying to uh, pat ourselves on the back too much, but I believe our content really transcends results in terms of the box score, right? In terms of, okay, we know Amen and Asar are getting drafted. We know X team won the championship. Um, but I don't believe that's why we've succeeded. I believe we've succeeded. So like, if we talk about a show like All In, which by the way, I, I actually like, um, 
you know, my favorite moment from All In actually is from several years ago. They were following the Rams during a really unsuccessful season. And we saw Jeff Fisher get fired. And we yep. saw every aspect of that. And I, I asked our team to watch that. Our team actually has watched that episode in that scene. And boy, it really let me in. Like, I actually, it might sound corny. I have chills, like, thinking about the moment after he was fired, other coaches taking the blame, his son coming out. Like, so that is the tone I believe we set with our audience six, seven years ago, that when you come to overtime, you're not coming for stats. You're not coming for necessarily mm -hmm. results. You're coming for the story and, and the honesty and the empathy that goes with it. So I, I don't I don't think it matters. But as a producer, I have to think about it. Um, but I'm not concerned about it. Cool. Dave, I want to get your take on something. This is my, my last question, Joe. Um, on these sports docs, well, i got two questions. The second yeah. one, just so you can start thinking about it while you answer the first, is beyond the overtime content, what are your favorite docs of the last couple of years in sports related? Mm -hmm. But first... I want to get your opinion on this and correct me if I'm wrong with any of these facts, but there are two series that I watched in the last year, year and a half that made a big impression on me. One was last chance you, which I'm sure you're aware of, of was really popular in Netflix. And the other one was swagger. And uh, admittedly, I didn't finish swagger, which as you know, I think was from Kevin Durant's production group and it was an Apple TV. And what I found as a fan is that when you give kind of like, and, I, and I'm sorry, to the other context was I did watch the two-minute trailer for One Shot, which I thought was terrific, by the way. Uh, got me quite interested to watch the series. Um, when fans are exposed to the truly raw and real, real content, it's hard to watch a fictional account, in my opinion, of a true story. You know what I mean? And I don't know if that's just me. I've talked to some of my friends about this. I'd love to get your opinion, Joe. You can jump in on that too, because it's it's really two different things that are happening with the content. Yeah, and I'm not a fan of the HBO Lakers series. I don't think it's it's not. For I, me. I agree with you. I don't I don't like that as much as I thought I would because it just feels like they're turning it's not Jerry West, kind of like Disney, John Finley, Finley, you know, Disneyfication of like a story, <laughs> and I just want the story, and then. The thing that struck me at last chance, you because I did watch basketball, like about Long Beach Community College and a football team. It's it's really intense. I mean, it's almost hard to watch sometimes, but it's effective. So, what are your thoughts on that? And Joe, again, you can add more if you'd like. Yeah, it's a great question. I'd love to hear from you too, Joe. Like I, um, so we had a, a young employee come up to me the other day um, who just started here and like basically asked me like, hey, a different department how'd you guys do that? And it was like such a charming, cool thing to be asked. And we talked about it. And then I could tell he was a little nervous to ask me this, but he was like, Hey, you know, did you always want to work in movies though? And uh, my answer was an, an emphatic no. Um, you know, not to, not to trivialize uh, scripted stuff, but like, I don't know. I think what's, what happens in reality is just better. You know, mm -hmm. I think that the vulnerabilities and to go back to the language of sports and to go back to, quite frankly, why I played. I didn't play because I was great. I played for the speeches. I played for running out. I played for the camaraderie, all of that. I just don't think there's any better way to capture that, quite frankly, than through unscripted content. Um, but, Joe, how do you feel about it? I, I agree. I think that... Um... First of all, you know, David Stern was always famous for saying, you know, 
we are we are reality television and and anybody who comes along and says you know they started this show and that show well you haven't been watching sports at all no matter what the sport is whether you're watching you know coco goff or <clears throat> you know Lionel messi <clears throat> excuse me it's an amazing story unfolding in real time i i <clears throat> excuse me i think the biggest thing that you get out of what you do dave and what great storytellers do is to give us that stuff on the other side that we don't normally get to see. And having been witness, literally, you know, a lot of things that you wish would have gotten on camera. It's funny, I was thinking about one when we were in class yesterday. So I, um, Helen Maroulis became the first woman to win a gold medal in wrestling in the Olympics. And she's in Baltimore. So we brought her to, I was working with USA Wrestling, we brought her to a Ravens preseason game and we were standing there on the sideline. And John Harbaugh came over to her and started to talk to her. And it was a preseason game, so he had the ability to do it. And he said, would you like to come in our locker room and address our team before the game? And this is two minutes before the Ravens were to go on the field for a preseason game. And it was myself, Helen, and he introduced uh, Helen to the team. And Helen gave a speech off the cuff. It was actually the first woman ever to address an NFL team in the locker room before a game. It had never happened before. Unfortunately, it was a preseason game. Nobody knew what was happening. Nobody captured it. But I, I often think about that moment or other things that you see um, that don't come out in, in film. And I'll give you one other really interesting example. So uh, one of my mentee, mentors, uh, a guy I've become very close with, is Harvey Schiller. And Harvey was the head of the U.S. Olympic Committee during the whole Tanya Harding thing. And Tom, I don't know if I ever told you this story. So he watched I, Tanya. And he said, you know, it was kind of interesting. And he goes, you know, there's that scene where she supposedly breaks her her um, her lace and then goes sits back there. He goes, I was sitting on the bench and she walked off. Do you know what she came off and she did? She came off because she pretended like she broke her lace. But really what she did was she needed to smoke a cigarette. And she had a pack hidden away. And Jeff Galuli handed her the pack of cigarettes and she pretended to tie her lace while she smoked two cigarettes and went back on the ice. So those are the type of things which I think today, because of mobile devices and everything else, people can capture those things. But so much of that stuff gets brought to life in two ways, I think. One is in printed word. And I just finished reading Lars Anderson's book about um, Brady's last season or the Brady Super Bowl season in the Buccaneers. And there was so much that came out of that. Uh, and then when you look at people who can take the spoken word and put it into visual, um, you know, like people that you do, like my friend Aaron Cohen does for so many things that he writes for all the HBO stuff. You think about it, and I would imagine you do this, is you think about it from the eyes of the fan, not from the cre you know the, the storytelling creator. And that's how magic happens because you think, boy, wouldn't that be cool if my buddies knew that or, or these women knew that. And th that's the beauty of, of long form things. It's not about wins and losses. It's about the drama that plays out in these real people, not the actors that play them, I think anyway. 100%. Like, do you guys, are you guys familiar with um, Mo Williams, I believe is his name? He uh, writes children's books and a few that my son reads. And I went to his Twitter account. I was a couple years ago. And uh, in his handle, it said, uh, don't think for your audience, think of your audience. And that's something I've tried to, I've tried to apply. Um, don't always do it. Um, but that, that's definitely something that, that I think you just captured, Joe, and something mm -hmm. we talk about a lot at other time. And I just thought of one more example to end this part of the, the convo. Um, the difference between watching The Last Dance and, let's say, Air. I thought Air was a good movie, but if I had my druthers, I'd rather watch The Last Dance. Well, you know, and the other part of that, which, again, when you go back over time, and Dave, I'm sure when you go back, I would imagine you go back to when you first started overtime, is 
when you watch The Last Dance and what Mike Tolan put together, you forgot about a lot of that stuff. Right. I don't remember, you know, all the things that happened because, you know, like Dave couldn't remember the guy's name in the video. I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. So, right. so oh, and Joe, that was video. and that was, to be fair, a long time ago. It was so, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Probably around probably around when uh, Dave was born. Yeah, no, uh, no, no, I remember. I mean, the irony is like, I, first of all, I love the last dance, but like, I don't know about you guys, but I remember like. We rooted against Jordan all the time. You know, one thing, yeah. whenever uh, Jordan comes up, because it's it, and it is a bit of a trite conversation, Jordan LeBron, if people ask me, I always say, you know, I, I think Jordan was better. I'm no expert, but uh, LeBron's more interesting. You know, LeBron jumping teams, spurning Cleveland, prodigal son coming back. Like, boy, has it been interesting. And like, to Jordan, we didn't quite have that. Not necessarily Jordan's fault, just the climate. But like, how do we capture um what's so interesting about the lebron experience all right so that leads to the last one i mentioned you, yeah. you had a couple minutes to think about this oh sure what are your favorites from the last couple <clears> years because <throat> there's been so much out and this is such a big topic of conversation with sports fans because everybody will say did you see fill in the blank with any of these documentaries and people seem to get very attached to certain ones being the best ones what are you, what are your thoughts yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I'm sure you guys feel this too. Un unfortunately, I do find myself being hypercritical of stuff. And that was not your question. Um, so I've, uh, I really enjoyed Full Swing. I thought Full Swing Ooh. was really well done. Um, you know, there is a spirit to Full Swing that I think we uh, do it over time as well. Like, I personally, for anybody who knows me personally, I love nostalgia. I'm a Mr. Nostalgia. Ask me about you know, like one of my favorites is um, the, OJ, the OJ 30 for 30. I believe it's called June 7th, 1994. Love it. Like, I, I love nostalgia. However, I don't know that our audience does, guys. Like, I, they don't necessarily yeah. want to hear about how great LaDainian Tomlinson was and so on and so forth. I love it. Um, so to go back to Full Swing, Full Swing, I think, does a really good, good job capturing a moment, a really good job capturing an experience. You know, I think golf is a good example of a game that like, you know, it's it's Jim Nance and Butler Cabin and pristine and the most beautiful grass you've ever seen. But full swing, I thought really captured who these guys are as people and, and did a really good job. So I would say I walked away from that saying that's my favorite of the last year or so. Nice. Um, so, Dave, last two questions that we ask all our guests. Um, and the first one is really interesting because you probably have a different perspective from most people but like when you're looking for new projects or you see things that are coming how do you stay content uh, up to date with everything that's going on where are the sources that you go what podcasts do you listen to where do you get your reading material other than you know flipping on netflix and seeing what's on and then the, the second question which you've kind of answered a little bit but maybe you want to go into a little more detail is we've got lots of people who listen who are either transitioning in careers or just starting out or just graduated from high school, college, grad school, what advice do you give those people? So advice and how do you stay up to date? Yeah, hundred percent. So up to date, to be completely honest with you, I talked to Sam Gordon and Tom Weingarten who run our social media department and they are so far ahead of anywhere else I could possibly be about what's coming and what's interesting. So for example, we, were do we needed a another big show a couple years ago and they said hey we have two young players two young brothers um last name is ellis out of north carolina who are really good hoop who are pretty good hoopers who are starting to gain traction 
on uh, TikTok. We should make a show about them. And, you know, I, I look them up. They're not ranked in the top 100. No one's writing about them. However, they started to have a little bit of traction there. Two years later, it's it's our biggest show right now, following them and their wow. family. Um, so, you know, this is not to be a cheap plug, but follow over time. Like, I really think that we are getting there before everybody. And it's not that we're like so cool and so hip. Believe me, I'm not. But we are putting in the work. So we are looking at analytics charts. We have a weekly analytics meeting. We have a, uh, several weekly content meetings where we're really... Um, I should shout out Mark Cohn, who's been a, a tremendous influence on me, who is our, our head of content, um, has done an incredible job, like really taking an analytic approach. Um, not to go on too much about the question, but prior to this in TV, uh, a lot of subjective combos um, wherever I work. Dave, this is funny. This isn't funny. This this moment should be scary. It's not scary. Um, and when I came to overtime, I brought that mindset. And Mark started a couple weeks after me. And he said, hey, let's throw all that out the window. And let's spend a lot of time looking at retention charts. So the first thing he did was brought Sam, Sam and Tom to YouTube headquarters out West. And let's really learn about our audience. And um, so I talked to them and that is what really keeps me up to date. Um, yes, sorry, Joe, did you? The did advice. I, I, yes. Um, mm -hmm. Advice. Um, I would say to make content um, over don't. Uh, it, it is quite frankly more accessible to make content than ever. So, you know, you can download Premiere, you can shoot on your iPhone. And in my opinion, if you're interested in doing what we do, it's all you need. Um, so roll a lot of tape um, and figure out what's interesting about it. Um, like from a, a technical perspective, you can learn how to do all of this on YouTube. So do that, shoot, um, you know, one thing I, I always think for myself too, by the way, like, don't like, oh, don't think that your like taste is the strongest part of your game. At this day and age, that's not enough. I had a, a great mentor at the History Channel. A guy was just awesome to me when I when I was there and 22, 23 years old. And he said, as a producer, you're only paid for your taste and your judgment. And I love him, but boy, has that changed. Um, so like, Learning how to do those things are really big. The other thing for me is really to think critically about sports. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I enjoy your podcast because that's what you do. Um, I think sometimes there is maybe a culture in sports that's like, I'm here to watch the best. I'm here to, to see greatness. I don't believe that's why we're here. Um, so like, even when you're watching a game, when you're watching a game last night and everybody's on Kadarius Tony. I'm thinking to myself, boy, Kadarius Tony is going to be in the news cycle till Saturday when Deion Sanders is back in the news cycle, and then yeah. he's going to get a break. Like, just <clears throat> thinking critically at all times about sports, why we love it, what drives us, um, I think has played a big role in, in our success. Cool. Last question off of what you just said. Yeah. This is a Coach Prime related question. Authentic or faux? So I'm not really sure whether you mean him, like his whole act, his whole thing. Well, I, I don't know whether he's authentic or pro or, okay. or foe at this point. I think we'll find out a lot on Saturday if they get their ass kicked and people will know that by watching this, by the time they listen to this. But um, can you fake it till you make it uh, in, in the world you're in or in the filmmaking world? And obviously you can help bring that along because of the way you cut, but um, how, how quickly does an audience like yours cut through the BS and say, even though they're showing me this, I don't believe it. It's not true. That's not who this guy is. Um, yeah. I mean, great question. I think right away. 
Um, you know, that is, I think, the beauty of so much access is that like you really do get a 360 perspective of what's going on. I mean, I did it with the last season of the crown of the crown. I love the crown. And then the last season I said, boy, this feels like right. This feels like Charles made a phone call and said, hey, let's let's switch it up. So I think our audience does it pretty quickly. I mean, I will say like you're asking the wrong guy because I love Deion Sanders. I love Deion Sanders as a, a young man all the way to now when I'm an old man who forgets things. Um, but, and I guess I'll end with this. I, I wish I would have bet on Colorado last week because I will say this for, for Dion. Um, he's won a lot. Um, if you look at uh, obviously what, what he did the last couple of seasons, but we followed him in high school. I'm very proud of the shows we made. He won there, largely won in the pros. So, I don't know. I think Dion's legit and I'm excited. I'm excited for this weekend. Cool. Tom, you want to wrap us up? Yeah. Wow. That was great stuff. Um, really interesting um, points about some of the um, most popular content in all of media here in 2023. Who would have known a few years ago that there would be this enormous growth of, of sports documentaries and docuseries. Uh, and now it's everywhere. And you probably know, Dave, I'm sure you're on top of this as um, most folks in the industry are, there's all these other deals lined up, including NASCAR doing a whole thing. I mean, I think multiple leagues already have stuff in the works. MLS, Joe, right? Wasn't that mm -hmm. one that we read about? And um, I, for one, are looking forward to them. As, if they, along, as long as they subscribe to the approach that I prefer, which is the be real approach, no BS. And I would just make this as my last point as we say goodbye. One of the conceits in the business market and I would say in the cultural uh, market of dealing with young consumers, Gen Z, particularly mid-20s and lower, is that they, above all else, they want authenticity. That's just that you hear that repeated all the time with the research and the surveys and things like that. And what's interesting is that there's more authenticity coming in the sports business from content being created like companies like overtime than ever in the history of the sports business. And it just seems like that keeps getting bigger and better. And then a lot of the other stuff that might've been uh, used instead of let's call it the more real content seems to be receding a little bit. I would love to know, for example, using my, using the example of last chance you versus like swagger, nothing against swagger. It was kind of entertaining, but I would imagine like last chance you would probably resonate more with younger people than swagger, even though it was well-produced. Um, anyway, I, I don't want to ramble any more than to say that what you guys are doing with your expertise and success in short form and now extending into longer form stuff is really fascinating. And in a way, I remember one of the slides, Joe, when Zach and or Dan shared one of the decks with us about overtime strategy, like four years ago was, I'm paraphrasing, Dave, but something like we want to be the ESPN for the next generation or something like that. I, I think, is that a fair way to describe it? Was, was there some statement like that? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like yeah. there was, you know, the, uh, we really, uh, I'll be honest with you, like we really had big goals from the beginning and in mm -hmm. a lot of ways it's surreal. We're achieving them. I don't mean to sidetrack as you're wrapping us up here, but I, I walked yeah. my dog right before this and two guys noticed my overtime shirt. I said, you guys know, I said, you guys know us. He goes, and the guy said to me back, like, of course I know you. Are you, are you faking it right now? And I said, you got to understand, man, I, I was here when there were 10 people in a closet. Like right. it's right. still surprising to me. So uh, to throw back to you, Tom, yeah, we, we certainly had those lofty goals and, and we're, we're achieving them.
Yeah, no. So what I, so that my concluding statement was simply to say, at a moment in time, fall of 2023, where the future of ESPN and all, let's call it legacy media, is very much in being challenged by the forces of in the marketplace. It is interesting to think that overtime is reaching kind of these new plateaus, while we see the traditional players facing issues and challenges that are unprecedented in their histories. And um, when we have you back on the show in three years and you're and you're bigger than ESPN, then maybe we can revisit this topic and think about this conversation. Whatever happened to Dave? That's what we'll say. Right. Right. Um, cool. Um, so last question, most important, where can people find you? And then give us the plug for the docs. So everybody knows where to go. Yes, of course. So first things first, plug for the doc. Um, please, one shot. Overtime Elite is the name of the show. Uh, my sister came up with it. We batted around names for about three months, and my sister is an accountant. Said, "How about one shot?" And finally, it, it hit. <laughs> so please check it out on Prime. Um, please check out Overtime on all of our social media channels. You can easily search Overtime. Also check out OTE. We have our own account, One Shot. Please check us out. All those places. Please also check out OT Seven, which is our Seven on Seven Football League. I'd love to think that's the next thing we're going to talk about. That's really taking off. Um, and yeah, if you want to hit me up, um, I am Overtime Zig on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. I'm on LinkedIn, Dave Zigarelli. I'd love to hear from you. Cool. That's great. Well, thanks again. We can't have enough Italians on the show too, Dave. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, Dave. That was a terrific conversation. And congrats cool. on your success there. And really, we wish you well with the documentary. I know. I actually, uh, when I Googled it earlier, I saw, I hadn't, I hadn't been on Rotten Tomatoes in a really long time, but it actually, in the, in the search return, uh, Rotten Tomatoes came up and it's looking pretty good on Rotten Tomatoes. So if that's any indication. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, that's what's most important to us is what, what does the audience think? So um, I exactly. hope you guys like it too. Please, please let me know. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It was, it really was an exceptionally good trailer and the, the kind of trailer that I, I think is uh, what you want to see where you kind of, you kind of tell the story in a really short way, but you make, you raise questions too. So that's going to be fun. Cool. So I will wrap us up once again. You've been listening to Dave Zigarelli, head of video and senior executive producer at Overtime. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host, Tom Richardson. And by the way, if you want to learn more about Overtime, come join us at our conference on campus at Columbia University, because Overtime will be part of that discussion on Friday, October 6th. Affordable tickets online. You can find them. You can follow uh, Tom and myself uh, as well. And uh, once again, this has been The Cusp Show, our first in September, our second in September actually, but we'll be back with more. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you down the road.